What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. There it is, Buddy Hill alone at the top of the King's record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court pit pocket. Fox again. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. I am here with Rich. We are in downtown Sacramento right now. Just watched the disappointing Kings Blazers game with the crazy comeback from Portland. I mean, just kind of a classic Kings game, it almost feels like a little bit. Shambles. Shambles. Here we are in Doko. We have Kings fans throwing themselves in front of the light rail. It is true misery out here. (laughs) This was a bad one. This was a really, really bad one. Yeah, I mean, up 26, we saw multiple guys from the Blazers, old face Scalabissier, doing work against us, coming through in the clutch. Here to reap what we have sown in a way. A couple guys on the Blazers playing all 48 minutes, only going six deep with Zach Collins, only playing 13. And the Kings played 13 guys and couldn't pull this one out. I mean, I loved the Swanigan minutes. I mean, listen, we all love Caleb Swanigan. <laughs> he is the new fan favorite. <laughs> the versatility, the athleticism. <laughs> no, listen, I am crushed right now. The Kings had a chance at 40 wins. I know it's just a number, and it doesn't mean significantly more because it's a round number. And it's in that register that we haven't yet reached. But listen, the Kings didn't reach 39 wins for the last 13 seasons as well, or the last decade as well. So I don't know. I, I th- to me, and tell me, tell me if you feel this way. But this felt kind of like a principled Dave Yeager stand, where he's like, "Yes, I could win this game. I could play <laughs> Fox and Buddy at these closing minutes." But that's not his style, and he's kind of making a statement like, this doesn't mean to me what it may mean to you. Yeah, where Dave Yeager's just like, you know, I've, I've won 40 games in my career. I don't, I don't need this. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, they definitely could have thrown Fox and Bagley, Bogey, any of the starters back in there. Bagley had 20 and 9 in not many minutes. And, yeah, you throw Fox back in there, and it's a completely different game. You win that easily. When they start coming back and it's an 11-point game, you throw one of those guys back in there, get it right back up to 20 real quick, and you're set. 
Right. Barnes played 16. Fox played 17. Hill played 16. Bagley got a, a, a longer run, but this felt like, you know, maybe... Listen, the Kings have lost to some scrubby teams recently, and it feels like when the Kings were eliminated from the playoffs, Jaeger felt like, okay, so this season is done. I am going to focus on developing some of the younger guys. Of course, it just so happens that a lot of the starting lineup is young anyway, but I don't think that he wants to run the risk of getting Darren Fox hurt, you know, in a desperate attempt to go get that 40th game. And I think he really believed also simultaneously that his bench guys could do it against Jake Lehman, Gary Trent, <laughs> and Anthony Simons. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I mean, I would have liked to see more Collie Stein, considering this is the last game that we hopefully ever see from him in a Kings uniform. Um, I'm fine with seeing less Collie Stein. That's that's fair in any scenario. That, that's fair. It stings. We're in a tough spot right now. I I I, I want to. I don't know. Is this the lowest that you felt about the Kings all season? Because again, like we talked about, now they are nine and sixteen since the All Star break. Is this a low point? Uh, no, because this game, like you said, it didn't actually mean anything. Yeah. I mean, it hurts because you did want to reach that forty win mark, but I don't think that it had any actual meaning to it. So, to me, a low would be like that Brooklyn game where when you really start to feel like you're not making playoffs anymore and they went through this crazy bad stretch like you said 9 and 16 since the all-star break once my heart was broken i want to say it was probably a clipper game where we realized we weren't making playoffs anymore that was and it's hard to say that's a low after what the expectations were going into this season but this one hurts it just didn't feel as bad as some of these other ones where it still felt like we had a chance to be sniffing the postseason it did yeah and this this is I guess this is just there was a symbolic number out there and that symbolism means more to some of us than others and and you know I I don't know I, I wanted to say going into this game that if we lost this that I would be livid that I'd be furious that I'd be it would be a low point on the year for me, but it doesn't really feel that way. I I mean, if Darren Fox was out there for the fourth quarter and we still lost, that would be that would be rough. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, the Swanigan minutes, like we talked about, I loved it. He's definitely that fan favorite. Showed off everything in the arsenal, the passing, the sideburns that don't quite connect to the rest of the beard. <laughs> it's all there. I'm all for it. But... I mean, we talked about it a little bit. It's just been a great season. Like, I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, I've been, you've kind of exposed me before as a Celtics fan at the same time, and I've had to turn off so many Celtics games this year just because I haven't enjoyed them, and that hasn't been the case for these Kings. Like, I've had so much fun watching every game of the season for this team, and they've managed to make almost all of them close down the stretch, it feels like minus a few exceptions of course but like this felt like a perfect sort of Kings game this year where you know that they're up but in the fourth quarter it's somehow going to be a close game and it was exciting they had a chance obviously they should have taken it but throughout the entire year I mean there were just so many fun times that I had watching this team this year 
you know, speaking of the Celtics walking the season backwards a little bit, there was a couple games there in early March where the Celtics beat the Kings uh, twice in a week, week or so. And one of those, I believe the first one was without Kyrie in the lineup. That was kind of an inflection point for me as well. I felt like, you know, if they're going to do it, this is one of the games where they, they got to win. They got to beat the Kyrie-less Celtics. That loss dropped them to 32 and 32. And then less than a less than a week later, or about a week later, they lost again to the Celtics by six points. And that first one was the Gordon Hayward uh, buzzer beater, if yeah. you recall. So, yeah, and then, like you mentioned, the, the Clippers game was right before that. So dropping that one to the Clippers and then losing two straight to the Celtics, that was kind of the – that was the moment where I felt like, okay, this is sli- – it was slipping away. It was grains through the gr- – grains between my fingers, grains of sand, and it's slipping and slipping and slipping. And then those three games, it was like, all right, it's gone. Like, we're out of it. Uh, it, we still were mathematically alive, but that was a that was an inflection point for me. And that was when Bogey, I believe, was really deep in his yeah. slump as well. Yeah, Bogey was low, and also at the same time, seeing San Antonio go on that like eight game eight game win streak when it looked like they were the ones that we could potentially catch. But we've talked about it a couple times. I mean, you can't expect to knock Popovich out of the playoffs. Can't catch Pop. No. Cannot catch uncatchable. And the Clippers were also the team that I think a lot of us felt at the trade deadline, well, they just traded away their best player, Tobias Harris, it, and they could have kept their first-round pick this year had they missed the playoffs, had that lottery-protected pick. It felt like, okay, the Clippers are kicking the can down the road. They want to continue getting stronger for the future. But no, they just got better. So that, to me, was another point where it felt like that may have been my peak optimism right there, where the Kings were 30 and 27, that they were in ninth, the team right above them in the eighth seed, the Clippers traded away their best player. It seemed like they were going to go into a mini tank mode, and that just didn't happen. And maybe this is another. We got to just give credit to these coaches, Doc Rivers, Greg Popovich. As good as Jaeger has been, and as much as we want to keep him around. I don't know that he's on that level just yet. And, by the way, just extended or got into conversations with extending Vlade Divac, thankfully, because he needs to stick around. We've talked about this. Jaeger needs to stick around and likely means Brandon Williams is on his way out of here. Hopefully. That's just what I feel like would be best for this team. Um, Glad to see Vlade coming back. But we kind of touched on the lows a little bit there. This has been a great season in comparison to what we were expecting. What are some of the moments that stand out to you that re- that you really enjoyed throughout this season? So obviously we got to talk about the Bogdanovich buzzer oh, beater yeah. over the Lakers. That to me, I mean, that's probably number one. Where, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, there's the buddy, the buddy buzzer beater uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, where he hurtled over the camera at the end. Absolutely. It was a great one. Those yeah. are some pretty high highs. You know, I think the buddy buzzer beater was against the Pistons. Yeah. Okay. In Detroit. In Detroit. And that was getting pretty deep in the season as well. The bogey buzzer beater was around Christmas. I believe I don't have the dates in front of me, but mm-hmm. 
that, things were nice, man. It was Christmas time. It was December. New year, new kings. It's the Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> what more could you ask for? Tyson Chandler was so hyped up at that point. It was the Tyson Chandler Lakers. And he got switched on to bogey, shot it over him on some good defense. And they use that picture every commercial now of bogey just getting attacked by the rest of the team. Um, I One that stood out to me a lot was going overtime in Milwaukee or in Sacramento against Milwaukee. I know they lost the game and Giannis was on a minute restriction, but Milwaukee has easily been the best team in the league this year. That one was just so nice to see it go close down the stretch. They swept the season series against San Antonio. Um, the game that the best that I was at, I was lucky enough to go to the Summer League, the California Classic, and that Bagley poster on Wagner had me and everyone else in the stadium going insane. That was the first time I'd been to Golden One. This, yeah. The fans got so loud for that summer league game. And, like, that just made me realize this fan base. And, I mean, that summer league lineup was Fox, Bagley, Giles. It was part of your main core right Scow. there. Yeah, Scal. <laughs> and it was just, it was so much fun. That was one of my favorite moments of the season. Yeah, that's going way back. I There was a few games that... I want to point out as well, I got, you know, like you, lucky enough to attend some of these games, of course. The first game with Harrison Barnes was, I believe it was, against the Miami Heat. And the Kings were down basically buzzer to buzzer. I think they had like a 4-2 to two lead in the first quarter. And then they got down, and they were way down. And Barnes made a stand I felt defensively some people criticize Barnes' defense I am not one of those people he came in he was guarding at the point of attack he was forcing backcourt violations he was getting all over Goran Dragic uh, and, and the Miami Heat that was a beautiful game and I, the first lead they got in that game I think was about 18 seconds left something around there Coincidentally, the other game that I that I had gone to previously uh, that stuck with me was a game against the Grizzlies where it was similar, just wire to wire, getting smacked. The Kings were just down uh, right from the jump, and they clawed their way back in the last six minutes, and they won that game. And a lot of that has to do with, I think, wearing these teams out over time. I mean, we've talked about it before, but pace really has been the identity of the Kings at least for this season Uh, and you're right a lot of it goes back to what we saw in the summer league that this team is built around young exciting guys and it would be foolish not to take advantage of their youth their legs Uh, and maybe that's a big part of why this season has faded towards the end Um, I just don't know but but going back to some of that early stuff, I mean, when when was when did it dawn on you that the Kings were having a different year? When I think they were able to play Golden State really close to start. There was that first game where it was, uh, I want to say, like five seconds left, and the ball got caught in between the rim and the backboard, and there was yeah. a jump ball at half court with about five seconds left in Golden State, I think it was. And... I don't remember exactly what game, but I remember that one being early on where it's like, wow, this team can keep up with what really is, I mean, the best team in the league in Golden State 
probably one of the best rosters, if not the, that we've seen all time. And it, I felt like you were able to realize pretty early on that Jaeger was a decent coach, that Fox had taken another leap, and so had um, so had Buddy. And Bagley took a while to get to where he needed, but we saw that eventually come around. That was another high for me in that Golden State game where we saw Bagley go up three or four different times and get just immediately stripped by KD, who's one of his idols. And then the final time, he finally ripped through and drew a foul. Just being able to see him progress, same as Giles. But it's just, it was pretty early on that I felt like you were able to realize that this team was not a bottom five team in the NBA. Right. They seemed like they were in it at least record-wise, they the Kings never drifted towards the bottom of the standings. They were in the mix from the jump, and it never felt like it was teetering beyond control. I I should look that up, but I don't think they were ever flirting with 13, 14, 15 in the West ever this no. season. Uh, and there was you know that Bagley and Durant moment. You can tell Durant has a lot of respect for this young kid. And I think respect is a lot of this, too, where that has been an accomplishment for this team this year is to go out there and earn the respect of their opponents, earn the respect of the league, obviously earn the respect of media coverage across the country. People don't talk about the Kings like the Kangs, like they used to talk <laughs> about the Kings. You know, everyone now knows and identifies the Kings as an up-and-coming team, the failure to meet the 40-game mark doesn't change that at all. We see it on the court. We see it in the net rating. It doesn't matter if they you know, fell apart here a little bit, got beaten up by the Jaleel Okafors of the world and oh, the God. Jake Lehmans of the world. Ian Clark. Oof, man. <laughs> in the end, that stuff doesn't matter. They elevated themselves. They earned some respect. I also was able to attend a Kings game down at Oracle in Oakland and uh, I was with my buddy Jim, wearing Kings gear. Also, Bryant West was there. Shouts out Bryant West of STR. Got to say hi to him. And Warriors fans were coming up to us as the game ended, like, hey, we are afraid of you guys. You guys are coming for us. And they know that. I think that Warriors fans and the Warriors feel like eventually the Kings are going to get there, and they're already a formidable foe. It's not like the years past where the Kings have felt like the butt of the joke. Yeah, there's been, like, you see random Twitter guys giving up on their team and saying, okay, who should I support now? And it's so common to see the Kings are so exciting to watch. They're this up-and-coming team. Like you're saying, it's just getting recognition outside of Northern California. Um, And touching again on games that we went to, I got to go to Bagley's career high uh, in, uh, against Phoenix and that was the same game where the very end the highlight that most people remember is Fox getting a steal at the end and throwing down a windmill dunk have been right in front of me that was an absolutely amazing game I've always had this thing for Bagley for a while at the beginning of the year I was making the argument on if if you were moving forward with one of Fox or Bagley I was trying to make the argument for Bagley since everyone was saying Fox Fox has definitely pushed me the other direction but it was amazing to see Bagley have that career high. He does it so casually. He is going to be a great player in this league, clearly. And at the beginning of the year, 
the entire fan base, from what I remember, wanted us to take Luca at that number two pick with Aiden being locked in, going to Phoenix, an Arizona guy. I mean, right now, I'm happy with having Bagley on this team. I feel like he fills the holes that we need. He's got great rebounding. He gets to the line. The Kings were dead last in free throws attempted last year. They're, I want to say, 23rd this season, which a lot of that goes to Bagley. And Fox taking another jump as well. But Bagley fits this team. I don't... Obviously, Doncic is going to be an amazing player. He's rookie of the year, in my opinion, this year. But to me, Bagley, I have no regrets with that pick over Luka or someone like Trey, uh, Jaron Jackson, anything like that. Let's unpack this a little bit. I, you know, we talk, we're talking about highs and lows here of the season. And we went back to Summer League, and now we're talking about the second overall pick. I mean, there was a high... And a low for a lot of people right there where, I mean, if we're really going back, moving up in the lottery, that may be the highest high of this whole yeah. year, uh, the last 12 months combined. I mean, if we're really looking at that, I mean, I I was I had just started covering the Kings, and I have been a transient NBA fan, certainly not a diehard Kings fan from birth. I grew up in the Bay Area, as did you. I've lived in L.A. and Florida and other places, New England, all over the place. I've been in in Sacramento for six years now following the Kings, and this was probably the highest high I've ever felt for the Kings was, oh, my goodness. And I'll be honest, I was thinking we have either Aiton or Doncic coming to Sacramento. And I was losing my shit about that. Uh, excuse my language. I might have good, to mark this episode good. explicit. Uh, no, I was losing my mind. I mean, I remember exactly where I was. Uh, I I remember the the seat on the couch that I was sitting in <laughs> when I began to scream. And yeah, Marvin Bagley didn't enter my mind at that point. Uh, maybe there are some people out there that from the start were like, "Listen, we got the second pick. That means we can get Marvin Bagley." And credit to you and props to you if that's if the, if you telegraphed that from the beginning and knew that was happening and had complete confidence in the pick, I did not. I did not feel like Marvin Bagley would be a bust in any in any respect whatsoever. I would have preferred Luka Doncic, and I, I would have preferred DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton had he been there, the DeAndre thing I can unequivocally say right now I would rather have Marvin Bagley. Yeah. The Doncic thing can be a debate. Doncic is such a different type of player that the comparison is harder. I would not right now prefer to have Doncic. I would rather have Bagley because I've seen the fit. And of all the things that I've I've written and put out there as a writer for the Kings, it's been the the number one most positive piece was a defense of Marvin Bagley as that pick. I mentioned a lot of redundancy in the roster. The uh, disappointment the disappearance of Zach Randolph and the need for a big man there. We weren't sure what Harry Giles was going to be. If he did not get over the injuries, there'd be an even larger need for a big man. Lots of different reasons. Stretching the court vertically as well as you know horizontally. There's a lot of different aspects there, but you know, in some people's minds that was a low. I mean, when that pick went through, were you were you happy? Were you sad? Were you nonplussed? I almost felt like it was karma for 
really what you should have lost so many games, but there were probably five to ten games that they won on just being so clutch down the stretch. There was a Fox putback in Miami that was definitely a highlight there. Yeah. You still see that. That'll be on his highlight reel for the rest of his career. There were a couple other situations where they won it at the buzzer in the last couple minutes, and it felt like almost just getting paid back for that, where you don't see you don't like to see teams getting higher draft picks because they intentionally don't play their best players or they're really trying to lose games and it seemed like something was owed to the Kings and of course I was just ecstatic that the Kings were able to get that but like you said Bagley wasn't on my mind at that point I really thought that it was Doncic and I was so excited that I was actually worried that Arizona would take Doncic and we wouldn't get him Right. And, like, I, I wouldn't be mad if Doncic was on this team, but I don't... Fox is our ball handler of the future, and like we talked about, I think Bagley is that perfect fit there. I could not be more happy. And the rest of the guys, like, the jump that we saw Buddy take, I wasn't 100% sure he was able to take that jump into being a number one scorer on a team. And we saw Bogdanovich, who honestly might have played a little bit worse this season than last in regards to if you're just looking at percentages but it really was a rough stretch for a little while there in a month a lot of players took another step here in ways that I didn't necessarily know that they were going to be able to absolutely and for posterity I tweeted out my preferred draft order for the Kings at the time it was Doncic one eight and two Jaron Jackson, three, Bagley, four, Trey Young, five. And at least I can feel good about that five being the five, I feel like. Don't have any regrets there. I would love to, at this point, go back and slide Bagley up above Aiton and Jaron Jackson. Although I don't know, you know, all these guys have tremendous talent. That's the five going forward, I think. And, you know, to me, it feels like these five guys, we don't have a bust in this top five. That may be the first time in, I mean, it's super early to say, but I I would be stressed to go back and find a top five that was that good in any draft class. Obviously, like, time will tell about that, but I feel pretty confident in all those five guys, and I don't know. I mean, that may be my all-rookie first team. I know that's super boring and uncreative, but but who, who else would you would you throw into that mix? Do you think? I feel like Sexton has had a crazy year. That's the one that I would possibly put up there. And so my question is, is Doncic a guard or a forward? Because they take two guards and three forwards. If that I understand that question. right. I think that you can play with that however you like. I, I don't I, I think that you can make the argument either way. I'll I believe I guess I'm, I may be wrong about that. I thought you can give the honor to any five players. That might, that might, may be a mistake on my part. I know the the, the all NBA teams are positioned. Yeah, out. maybe that is realize. what I'm thinking. I should double check on that. Apologies, but if I can give, well, let me put it this way: if I'm voting for rookie of the year and you get a first place, second place, through fifth vote, I'm doing those five guys on the ballot. Uh, okay. Sexton is an interesting choice there I will push back on that I think that a lot of his I think he may be one of the worst defenders in the league and although he has caught fire here at the end 
especially picking up that three-point percentage. To me, the passing hasn't been there. The defense hasn't been there. I think a lot of that is empty calories, although, you know, the numbers are nice. And sometimes that is what these awards come down to, these honorifics. The numbers are nice. Uh, But if I'm projecting forward at all, I'm probably going to leave... I'm probably going to leave Sexton off that ballot. That's fair. And then another person that I feel like deserves some recognition will be Wendell Carter Jr. if he didn't go down with that injury so early on. Because him and Jaron Jackson are probably the best two defenders in this draft class. And Wendell Carter Jr., just, I mean, as a guy that watched a bunch of Celtics games, he reminds me of Al Horford so much, where he can just do everything. He's a great rim protector. He's he's a pretty underrated passer, and I, I wanted to give a little bit of love to him, but he did go down pretty early early with injury, and hopefully that doesn't continue throughout his career. Um, do you want to go into what would your second team look like a little bit for the rookie lineup? I feel like the ones that have to go there a little bit are the two Clipper guys, are Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Landry Shaman. And I've seen some pretty absurd numbers for Mitchell Robinson as well. Mitchell, I think, needs to be on there. You know, he's doing it all right now. It's kind of like the garbage time of the season, but those block numbers are preposterous. Yeah. He doesn't do anything wrong on offense. He's not a super versatile offensive player, but listen, he he can catch and finish dunks. So, yeah, I'm, I'm putting Mitchell on there. I think Shy probably gets there. I'd have to to be a little more sure about Shamet. Uh, he's contributed to two very quality teams, so I'm not gonna put shade on him. But Wendell Carter, also, I, I you know I'm not looking at any numbers right now. I wish I'd done a little more analysis on this. I know he was shut down for a large portion of the year. I'd have to go back and look at what stre- how long of a stretch Shamet was impacting, how long of a stretch of games Wendell Carter was impacting. But Carter is a great call here. I think one guy I want to kind of compare him to, also a young guy, he, he's got a little bit of Jarrett Allen uh, in his game to me. I think those are two guys that are being slept on as younger big men. Uh, can rebound, can protect the rim. Maybe not the flashiest offensive players, but guys that I like a lot and can probably be uh, great complementary pieces going forward. Uh, so I like Carter. And then if Sexton's not in your first, is he in your second? I guess so, yeah. At a certain point, you got to just go, look, all right, he's got enough points per game. Yeah. I know that's such like a simplistic entry-level way of perceiving the NBA, but listen, these are honorifics. If you put in a certain number of minutes and you score a certain number of points, sometimes that's just how it goes. I think that's also kind of an argument for Harden as MVP. It's like, listen – Dude has so many points, like insane. I don't know how you. At a certain point, like we wanted to make basketball about all this other stuff, and it is about all this other stuff. But it's also mostly just about points. So uh, it's kind of a tough one there. But yeah, that seems like a pretty fair second team there. So what we got? I got Mitchell on there. I got Shy on there. I'll put Sexton on there. Again, not going by by positions. We can throw Carter in there. Uh, I've liked a lot of what I've seen from Jalen Brunson. I think he could That's get a good one. I think he could get some some uh, peripheral consideration. I guess Curix hasn't made enough of an impact, but love him as a, a uh, second round draft pick. I got one for you. I like Mikael Bridges in Phoenix. Yeah. I think the defense has been insane there. That since they've moved him to the starting lineup, Phoenix has quietly been a decent defensive team. And for being, what do they end with? Eighteen wins this year. I mean, that's not something that you could say often for that lineup. 
Yeah, absolutely. And he's not doing the points per game thing. That's not the type of player he is. Uh, but absolutely should not be overlooked. Probably not going to make my second team. Doing a lot, but uh, a lot of that is hard to register. It's like he's a team player and a team defender on a team that doesn't play defense or win <laughs> games. So yeah. I don't. It's it's like I feel like if he was on the Sixers before, you know, if they hadn't traded him, then you give a big. You can give. Oh, him he'd be more so credit. perfect there too. He really would be. Although we'll see Zaire soon enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, these are all – there's some great players here. Uh, I kind of wanted to – so we just ate at Sauced. Really just we, – we were eating uh, throughout the first half of that game. The Kings were eating 87 points in the first half. Uh, and we were throwing around some hypotheticals, one I think you got from Reddit, about the possibility of trading. This is very hypothetical and kind of out of left field, but we had discussed – what a potential trade would be for Harrison Barnes or Bogdan Bogdanovich or Buddy Heald. And we mentioned uh, uh, Mikhail Bridges' type, someone that fits in the 21-year-old type mode or, or closer to the age of Fox or Buddy. And that's really interesting to me. But, uh, you know, I just, at this point, I don't even, as, much, as fun as it can be to talk about hypotheticals, I don't want to really talk about hypotheticals for this team because I feel so good about what the Kings have going forward here. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, this, like we said, this entire season was just so much fun. It's all headed in the right direction. And, I mean, what are you looking for as the next step for next season? I think our next pod will go in-depth on what the offseason looks like and what we're hoping for headed forward. But just simply, what are you kind of hoping for improvement-wise? I'd like to see work get put in over the offseason, specifically in free agency. We saw Vlade is getting locked up, extended. I need to see Jaeger get locked up, extended. And then I need to see free agents coming to Sacramento. Yeah. I know this is a short-term thing, but if we're just talking, I don't even need to get into next season yet, regards to on the floor. There's stuff that I want to see happen in the immediate as soon as free agency hits, as, as soon as uh, as soon as possible. The next thing the Kings can do, we don't have a first-round pick, you know, all that, but free agency has been a real weak point for this team for a long time. So, yeah, let's use that money. Let's use that $38 million or so. Yeah, and I need to see Willie not in purple. That's, that's a big one for me. I... I understand that he fits the pace style well, but I just don't think that he's honestly a very good center. Like, I need some rim protection. There were so many times I was so frustrated that he wasn't on the help defense in any sort of way. Wouldn't be bothered to put his hands above his shoulders. I just... Yeah, I don't want to see Kali Stein back. I want to see Jaeger here. I'm glad they're in talks with Vlade. Uh, touching on that a little bit, do you want to get into the kind of Magic Johnson talk that happened a little bit yesterday? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like It was just, just the crazy, I mean... I it, couldn't tell the owner because I love her too much, I'm too emotional. It's, it's one of those moments where you're like, 
is that do I celebrate this because it is a hysterical uh, moment of humiliation for the Lakers, or do I do I cry about this because <laughs> the Lakers might actually get someone competent and yeah. do the job? It was just like a weird night. Dirk's last game, Wade's last game, Jamal Crawford for 51 off the bench. <laughs> I mean, and then Magic just impromptu quitting in front of a press conference. I I don't really know what to make of it. It, it was just a wild night. Yeah, I agree with you that I think that it actually makes the Lakers better because for him to come out and say, I didn't have time to be doing this job, but you were locked in to it for this entire season and that he wants to be able to mentor like Ben Simmons. He wanted to congratulate Russ after a 2020-20 type thing. It's like you don't sound like you want to focus on this one team being the best version of itself that it can. So, honestly, it's probably better for the Lakers, but it was just so, like, soap opera-esque. I, I, it, it was an insane moment. It's up there with, like, JR throwing soup at his coach. <laughs> it's just such a weird moment of the NBA. And I'm so glad that that is, like, the cherry on top of this Lakers season. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, 39 wins or 40 wins... It's more wins than the Lakers got, so... Exactly. I'll take that. With LeBron. Exactly. Give me KD, and I bet you we make the playoffs. Here we come. (laughs) But anyways, people are starting to get out of this Katy Perry concert here at the Golden One Center that we're sitting right nearby here. I think it's pink to be... Pink. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on, Rich? Man, we're good. Just cut this... Go back and cut this to where I said we're better than the Lakers. (laughs) There we go. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. First one we're doing live here. Like I said, we're in front of the Golden One Center here in downtown Sacramento. And you will hear from us again on Friday with a different guest from Sacktown Royalty. Thank you for listening.